0: That's right. You knew I was going to talk at that point, didn't you? <laughs> Well, anyway, um, hopefully you have heard the previous podcast, which was on uh, uh, incident management. That's it. Yeah, because this is still the same area as uh, incident management, but this is dealing with triage. And triage, really for us, is going to be something that we're utilizing in a mass casualty incident. Where, again, we identified that as, as being three or more people and, and or uh, places more demand on that EMS system um, with with the casualties that are there than what we truly have. So basically, our equipment is out um, outdone by the number of people that are there. So when we're trying to declare whether or not or decide whether or not to declare a mass casualty incident, one of the things you have to ask yourself when considering this is how many people... Um, do, you, do you really have and can you effectively treat and transport with your ambulance? Uh, what happens when you have three patients to deal with? How long is it going to take for additional help to arrive? And what happens if the number of patients exceed the number of available ambulances that are in the area? This is one of those, a couple of those things you definitely need to keep inside your head. Now, you cannot treat and transport all injured patients at the same time. It, you just can't do it. And in an a mass casualty incident, you will, not, or you will often experience an increased demand for equipment and personnel. So that means you're going to have to have additional folks coming in. One of the things that I can honestly tell you is one of the most difficult things that we as EMS providers do not do well, is that we should not leave the scene with patients that are still there. So, if they're unattended patients that are sick or wounded, we cannot leave them. If you leave them, technically without any type of medical care, this is considered to be abandonment. You have to establish an incident command. This is where triage needs to occur. So, if you declared there's a mass casualty incident, you get those additional resources there and you initiate the incident command structure and the triage procedures that are identified. You can't just grab the worst patient and take off. Um, it is not doing anybody else there any good. So to help establish this, we're going to do what is referred to as triage, or we're going to sort those patients by their severity of their injuries. And again, the goal here is to do the greatest good for the greatest number of people that are there. Um, this means that when we do an assessment, it's going to be brief, And we need to make sure that we are doing the primary triage that's done in the field. Secondary triage is going to be something that is going to be done in the treatment section. This means that you're going to need either triage tag, triage tapes, uh, something that's going to be able to identify the category of where that patient is at. After we have done the primary triage, that triage supervisor needs to be able to communicate that information to the medical branch director. They need to tell them how many patients they have. What are the number of patients in each of the triage categories? Um, What about recommendations for getting them out of or moving them to the treatment area? And what resources are going to be needed to complete triage and, and start to move these folks? Um, When that initial triage has been completed, that retriage or secondary triage can occur and this allows for us as EMS providers to reassess all remaining patients and we either need to upgrade the triage as necessary or we kind of keep them where they're at. In class, we identified that there's at least four areas. Immediate meaning red, delayed meaning yellow, minor meaning green, and expectant is black. Now, I had mentioned before that there is a uh, fifth category that has come up in a lot of the literature, um, and this is referred to as particularly coming from uh, salt triage, S-A-L-T. We're just going to bring up the fact that there may be a gray, and again, this is where people are going to be more expectant to die. Now, the triage tags really are to be uniform in nature. Um, and whatever labeling system is used the transport officer has to be able to identify which patient was transported where by which unit and what was the priority of the condition these tags need to be weatherproof and they should definitely be color-coded um, so that they can be used and they really do become part of the patient's medical record the most common one and the one that has been identified as as being used in Pennsylvania for the most part is start triage and start triage is simple triage and rapid uh, treatment so start triage and rapid treatment it is using a limited assessment Uh, we're looking at the patient's ability to walk and we'll come back to that what's their respiratory status what is their hemodynamic status and we'll talk about that later on but basically it comes down to what is their pulse and finally what is their neurological status so the first step in doing any part of this is to identify those green patients and this is when you you know you make an announcement and you know you designate an identifiable area in which these folks can walk to So you're moving the walking wounded to one location. They're immediately going to be tagged as green. And now um, they're going to be our lower priority patients, but those are, again, additional resources that you may be able to utilize a little bit later on. Now, again, this is not a perfect system. You may still have people that are not going to get up and move, or they seem to be okay, but, you know, their legs broke, so how are they going to walk over there? The next step, though, is is that when you uh, have now removed the people that can walk, you now deal with the non-walking people. So when you start moving to them, you're picking up where you started, and when you assess their respiratory status, here you're looking at what it's going to be referred to again as that RPM, Respiratory Pulse Mental Status. The respiratory rate in an adult is going to be, if it is less than 30, 10 is the minimum, 10 to 30 um, we move on to the next area if it's if it's less than 10 or over 30 we're gonna um, have to tag them Um, if uh, you know so if that respiratory rate is non-existent you may just open up the airway use it as using an airway technique just lifting up their their uh, their chin do a head tilt chin lift and uh, when you open up their airway they're still not breathing then that is somebody who is just going to be black. We're going to identify them as black. They are now considered to be deceased. If, however, uh, you begin to open up their airway and you notice that the patient is breathing, um, then you can tag them as red. And you kind of put them in that recovery position. We'll turn them on their side. And uh, we move on to the next patient. If they are breathing uh, when you get there, You know, you make that estimation as to whether or not it's greater than or less than 30. Um, If it's greater than 30, then we're going to tag them as red and we move on to the next person. If it's less than 30 and just a little bit greater than 10, then we're going to go ahead and check our perfusion and see whether or not they have a radial pulse. If they have a radial pulse, then we can move on to the next area which would be the mental status, but if they don't have that radial pulse. Then we're going to tag them as red and we move on to the next patient. So if we find out that they're breathing at uh, 20 times a minute, we have a radial pulse. uh, We now move on to the mental status and this is where we want them to be able to do something, touch your nose. If they're able to do that, they get a yellow color. If they're not able to do that, they get a red color. So As you can tell, it's a decreasing system. Um, And the only reason that they're not initially at this point tagged as green is because they've been non-walking. They're not able to get up and move to go to somewhere else. Now what do you do with little kiddos? Um, Jump start triage is one of those things that we take a look at. And these are kiddos that are at least eight years of age or younger um, or appear to weigh about a hundred pounds. And you know, you start off again the same way, you're identifying those walking wounded Um, and then, of course, there's a couple differences here with kiddos. So if you find that a pediatric patient is not breathing, um, you open up their airway and check for their pulse. If there's no pulse, then they are labeled as black, and they are considered to be deceased. If, however, you open up their airway and they're not breathing, but they have a pulse, uh, then you actually give them five breaths, and you check the respirations again. If they do not begin to breathe, then they're going to be labeled again as black because it's most likely they're going to die uh, regardless of what we end up doing. The uh, most common cause of reasons why we do this is because uh, kids have respiratory arrest is what leads to their usually leads to their death. But if you're identifying that, uh, you know, I have found a child who is breathing, uh, is it between 15 and 45? Then we're okay. We move on to the next step, which is going to be, do they have a radial pulse? If they have a radio pulse, fantastic. We move on to, how are they acting? And we're looking at AVPOO, alert, verbal, pain, and unresponsive. Um, obviously, they, we already hopefully found out that they were not unresponsive. That would be fantastic. But uh, again, this is at the, at the point where you're way at the end, you know, that AVPOO. Um, and here, what you're looking at is, is, let's say that we walk up, we find a uh, kiddo who's breathing at 30 times a minute, and uh, we check for a radio pulse. They uh, have no radio pulse. They're immediately tagged as red. We move on to the next patient. We find another child. Um, we check their rate. We, we find out that they're breathing at, uh, at 46, 47 times a minute. Um, we're going to go ahead and tag them as red and move on to the next child. We find the next child, and they are breathing at 20 times a minute. We check for their radial pulse. They have one, and now they're actually able to answer our questions, and and they're responsive, um, and they appear to be at least alert enough to answer our questions. In that case, then, we're going to go ahead and triage them as yellow. Um, if, however, we got down to that point and found out that they were not able to answer any part of those questions, they were unresponsive, then we would tag them as red. So really, the biggest issue in JumpStart is is that we find that child early on, um, instead of uh, uh, writing them off as a uh, triaging them as a black tag initially. If they are um, not breathing, we give them five breaths and then we move on. Um, you know, But if they are breathing between fi- uh, 15 and 45, that's considered to be normal for them, and then we would move on. So a little different than adults, but uh, hopefully not a whole lot different for you. And it's kind of tough to really just discuss it while, while we're sitting here in a, uh, um, in a podcast. But hopefully a quick review like that helps you out a little bit. And uh, we'll, we'll look at some notes, and i got to get a flow chart up for you. Some of our triage considerations mean that, uh, you know, if we have responders who become sick or injured during our rescue efforts, they need to be an immediate priority and transported off-site as soon as possible. You know, what is it that, they, that, they have, that has happened to them? These are people that uh, really we have the ability to really take care of quickly. Um, if it's a hazardous materials or uh, uh, known as hazmat or weapons of mass destruction or WMD these things really start to uh, help focus and identify that patients are going to need to be decontaminated before they can actually uh, go through a regular triage process this is going to put us into a very uh, uh, bad area because the scene is then deemed not safe so if you pull up uh, and uh, you know you pull up and you have, a bunch of gas that is coming out of a vehicle um, like a tractor trailer and uh, you know you probably don't want to go up there and see what the heck's going on. So we had said earlier about destinations you know where are you sending these folks? Um, you may be sending them by ambulances, you may be sending them by Aeromedical Services um, and uh, really if they're in a green or a walking area they're probably going to go and be transported by a bus to the local facility to, uh, to be handled. In any type of disaster that we're dealing with, these are things that we need to keep in mind. Um, you know, it, A lot of times disasters may not involve any type of personal injuries, but other times you, know, you could be dealing with floods, fires, hurricanes, and that's going to uh, result in a lot of widespread injuries. As a result, that's why only elected officials are able to declare when a disaster actually occurs. Um, and finally, when you're taking a look at what your role is in that disaster, you know, it can become overwhelming with the number of people that are there. Um, what about, what are the local hospitals dealing with? How many hospitals do you have to deal with as well? And then are we also dealing with the way that we're going to perform triage or some type of medical care and then transport these patients to the hospital on a more of a priority basis to see what the heck is happening? Yeah, and it's not so much just, you know, figuring out what the heck happened. But you get what I mean. Hopefully, that we're transporting those patients on their priorities. Well, that concludes uh, triage. And that also concludes our incident management part. The only part that's missing out of this chapter would actually be hazardous materials. And I would suggest you go ahead and take that through PA Train. The link is found in your learning management system. We'll see you later.